0: Even better than I was the last time, baby. Oh, oh. We back. I'm good.
1: I'm good than I was the last time, baby. Oh, oh, oh. We back, and
0: we back, and 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 we back. Better than I I was the last time. Oh, oh, oh. We back, I'm good
1: hello and welcome to one-on-one my name is steven sloan and i'm a creep i'm a weirdo what the hell am i doing here mick
0: okay so the bad news is that because you've said that if he was listening to this tom york just turned off this podcast i know he's he was just
1: does does any band hate their their first uh hit more than radiohead hates creep
0: i feel like the eagles should probably hate take it easy
1: (laughs) they would be in line with everybody else
0: yeah well you know it's um it's funny because um i saw bruce springsteen two weeks ago in concert at nat's park and one of the biggest takeaways from it was a that bruce might not be a human he might be either a space alien or a machine which would explain why he describes people as cars because he's actually a machine who wants to the only
1: way he can relate he he
0: wants to know how to love the other thing is that he seemed just as excited to be playing uh Born to Run as everyone was to be hearing it. And I just I thought about the number of times he must have played that over the years. It's probably like a thousand. And he he still seemed really into it. I was really impressed.
1: <laughs> yeah, cuz that's something that bands talk about a lot actually about how much like they get sick of playing like their big hits. Um so many of them are like, "Oh, if I never have to play you know if if oasis if noel gallagher probably at some point has said if i never have to play like champagne supernova ever again i'll be happy like it's amazing how how often bands sour on their their like big break you went to song. champagne supernova i i couldn't decide between that and
0: wonderwall Wonder Wall is a much more popular song i yeah, think champagne probably. supernova is better but wonderwall is it, like first first of all who hasn't who who plays an acoustic guitar hasn't tried to play Wonderwall at a party before. Yeah,
1: that's I've never played it at a party because I have self-awareness. <laughs> but I have I have learned to play it in my like terrible acoustic guitar playing learning process. Yeah. So yeah, it's true. It's it's one of Well, cuz it's like it's it's so easy to play and yet it sounds so cool in a vacuum. Yeah, it really does.
0: Maybe that was the point. Like
1: it's it's such a great progression. It's been like ruined by like annoying dudes with guitars but like that is a great song with a great chord progression and it's so easy to play that i think you like you play it and you're like whoa i'm really good at the guitar man like this is crazy yeah everyone's just like oh how long have you played for you yeah, like I literally play like five minutes, or at, or at least I think that's that's how they picture. That's how people always picture it going. That's that's how they imagine, and I actually think in the moment that's how they think it's going. I may <laughs> until somebody points it out to them. I may be I may be
0: like upsetting some of my friends who have done this before because I don't always believe this to be true. But in a lot of situations, someone playing a guitar in a group of people is like really awkward because it's kind of (laughs) it's kind of hard to tell them to stop like that's something i thought about. yeah there's
1: no like nice way to tell somebody to stop yeah
0: like that's something i thought about when we were watching the bachelorette a few months ago and there was this one guy who played the guitar all the time and it was what was his name oh did he have yeah yeah yeah. his name name was james taylor but not the singer songwriter
1: not famed recording artist and all around incredible musician his songs were far worse this was like this was like the James Taylor that like, if you buy like a Gucci bag, except it has three C's like on a street corner in New York, this, that's who James Taylor, <laughs> so, the Bachelorette's James Taylor was. So here's the question of the week. Is this the fastest we've ever gotten off topic? We kind of like immediately started off topic. So I guess technically it's like how, you know how there are like 40 guys who have the longest touchdown in the NFL because you can only go 99 yards. Yeah. I feel like this is the fastest we've gone off topic in that sense because you literally can't go off topic any faster than we We, did. we were actually and we've definitely done that. We before. were never on topic, though. We were exactly. <laughs>
0: So can we really be off topic? I think it's time we got on topic. We
1: could. This is kinda of how podcasts work though. You start with just like random banter that literally nobody but the two of us care about. Are you and then you eventually get to the thing you actually want to talk I about? I don't
0: I don't want to introduce myself, uh, introducing the podcast. So uh <laughs> oh, can you uh, no, that's great. Right. Can you be a little uh, can you be a little Jimmy Garoppolo and lob one up to me? Let me get my Chris Hogan on. Yeah, um how are you doing bro bro good but what i meant was what?
1: <laughs> i have no I idea was, what i was you really hoping that.
0: okay that was like a pass that went out of bounds what i was hoping <laughs> for was something along the lines of so my brother
1: who lives in the dc area
0: what are we talking about
1: today all right let's try it again so my brother who lives in the dc area what are we talking about this week <sighs>
0: Okay, so this is something I've been thinking about over the past couple weeks. As the great, um, the great infectious plague of our time has swept across the nation, and it's a little Netflix show by the name of Stranger Things. Now, uh, I I think I was one, I think I was like one of the last people in America to see to see that show, but. It kind of made me think about what I kept reading about it was how excited people were to have a show that kind of harkened back to the sort of 80s, like, 80s sort of young adult um, sort of big budget fun kind of movie thing. And the thing that people kept talking about was E.T., these people had presumably never
1: seen a jj abrams movie yeah yeah well it's probably well I,
0: but the thing is it's actually i think it's the same people who loved super eight which is jj abrams movie yeah
1: which is like the sort of i think the quintessential example of the like 2000s 2010s amblin style yeah movie, which is why it's weird that they were like oh finally we're getting back to this aesthetic
0: yeah and it's like it's pretty easy to it's pretty easy a picture a tv critic or a cultural tastemaker of some kind just sitting in like their office or in their apartment in brooklyn just looking out the window after watching stranger things and being like do you remember when we used to make original stories and like drifting back to to the summer of 82 when et came out so and the thing is this is nothing new we've been stuck in 80s nostalgia for a really long time it kind of never left us Uh, And I thought about the fact that, I mean, and obviously the best example was probably the recent Star Wars movie, which I obviously loved with all my heart. And while Star Wars came out in 77, it feels like a very 80s sort of franchise because... It took on another life and became not just a movie but a whole universe in the 80s
1: right the second two-thirds of the series came out in the yeah 80s.
0: and so it kind of made me wonder if the 90s nostalgia was coming and i think that they're sort of dipping their toe in the water culturally speaking especially in hollywood we had a reboot of jurassic world or of jurassic park that was really successful and we had a sequel to Independence Day, that was not <laughs> that everybody asked for. Yeah, and though, yeah. well, in those, but my point is like,
1: well, yeah, and you see movies like um, Dope, Dope, uh, a sort of indie movie that came out last year or early this year, has that sort of '90s aesthetic. You're sort of starting to see it a little bit. Yeah, um, but
0: I, I kind creeping of creeping in. It got me thinking because I think we're seeing an attempt. Uh, where Hollywood cycled back to the two biggest box office draws of the 90s, which were Jurassic Park and Independence Day. One, one of them worked, the other didn't. And I'm wondering if we're going to see that type of 90s nostalgia the way we've had about the 80s. And if we're not, why not? And this is something I feel very strongly about because I've kind of always connected with the 80s from a cultural standpoint. And I really enjoyed... Uh, I mean, a lot of my favorite music, if it hasn't come out recently, is from the 80s. Uh, I, one of my favorite movies even, and this was kind of, in a way, it was kind of like the dawn of 80s nostalgia, was a great movie called Adventureland, uh, which is about a, a high schooler working, or no, a, a college grad, Jesse Eisenberg, who works in an amusement park in the late 80s. And there's there's just something kind of there's this kind of inherent uh niceness, for lack of a better term, to things set in the eighties. And there's a certain level of comfort that I think is provided by going back to that time. It kind of gives you like a warm feeling. And I, I, I don't feel that way about the nineties, even though the first years of both of our lives were in the nineties.
1: Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I think um one one thing is that toward the beginning it's probably still a little bit early um but we're kind of at the beginning of the, the 80s being a second-hand generation at this point so like what i'm saying is that the people who lived through the 80s are old enough to have kids who are old enough to sort of have that kind of cultural um awareness and so anytime you pass something down the edges get shaved off a little bit it gets a little bit nicer a little bit more romanticized i think that's part of it whereas with the 90s like the generation that's sort of making art and purchasing art now and uh making movies and things like that uh they 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 sort of are too close to it we we understood what they were like in a way that it, it loses that comfort because a lot of us probably have both positive and negative memories of growing up in the 90s and it doesn't have that sheen of uh, I get to pick and choose uh how I feel about this decade because I, you know growing up in it doesn't allow you that luxury. I think the other thing is if you really think about it the 80s is other than like the cold war was starting to wind down by the end of the 80s um and so, like it, it's hard to say that it's the last bit of stability we've had as a well, country. Hold on. But you think about the '90s. If, if
0: I could cut you off for a second, let let mm-hmm. let's emphasize here: the '80s. It wasn't just the Cold War winding down; it was, in the view of most people at the time, it was us winning the Cold War, yeah. and it was the first hint that after all, after all of the uncertainty and the instability and decades of that sort of hanging over the United States, that was the tipping point, and when the Soviet Union finally started to collapse.
1: Yeah, so I think it was, like, the peak of good feeling in in post-World War II America, to a certain extent, and then you see the 90s was a a lot of cultural upheaval, and then, of course, the 2000s, you have 9-11, and so, like, I think we look back to the 80s because it was, like, You know, you talk about the the Make America Great Again crowd. I think one of the times that people would pick was the 80s because we were relatively successful. Um, Obviously, like you said, we quote-unquote won the Cold War. I think it feels to a lot of people like a sort of golden age of America in a way that that, that the past three decades um, haven't been. Oh, and and another
0: thing that's really, I think, is worth um, noting is that it was sort of the start of the deregulation of the fi- of the finance industry and the real mm-hmm. commercialization and for profitization for lack of a better word of the bond and the stock trading is- industry you know so like you had the movie Wall Street come out in the 80s for example and mm-hmm. more recently the movie The Wolf of Wall Street is set in the 80s and it was a time where a lot of people became fabulously wealthy And there was a sudden like rush of materialism, I think, in American culture, and people buying really nice things. Like cars started to become sleeker. People started moving into really nice houses, and like, and I think that we did, we couldn't, we either couldn't quite see because we turned a blind eye to it, and by we I mean America, because neither of us were alive.
1: Yeah, because we or we
0: didn't totally start to feel the hangover from that finance financial industry party so that that was another thing that happened so it was it was kind of it was it was an apex of like it was an american apex uh broadly in culture especially for the most uh the people with the most power in a way that hadn't happened since the 50s i would say so it was almost like all of the unrest of the 60s and the of the late 60s and of the 70s kind of wrapping up and everyone's sort of rallying around oh we're winning the cold war and look at all of this amazing all of this amazing music and movies and we people are buying such like shiny things now and the economy is turning around and so and the 90s i think just kind of everything just kind of got
1: awful (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it I think it says a lot, and, and not to get too dark, um, I think it says a lot that like one of the icons of the 90s committed suicide, Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Kurt Cobain is one of the, if not the, emblematic figure of the 90s. He's certainly one of them. And I think it says all you need to know about kind of what what happened in the 90s and how it's viewed now that he, he killed himself. Yeah. It, it was just a time of enormous... Um, confusion and angst and upheaval and disaffectedness you know you see uh like the grunge movement becoming so big uh was sort of a cry from a group of people who felt like they weren't represented by mainstream culture it was it was this and then you saw sort of mainstream culture kind of try to co-opt that unsuccessfully it was just it was a very strange time from a cultural perspective And yeah, I think it was, you could probably, there's an argument to be made, and obviously once you get into prognostication, you get uh, into a lot of trouble, but the way things are kind of moving, you could probably argue that the 80s are going to be the last great decade of American cultural hegemony. Oh, that's actually a really interesting point. Because, I mean, the world is getting so much more global, and we're sort of taking a back seat, and we sort of hit a trough, I would say, somewhere in the 90s and the 2000s. But I don't think we're ever going to reach that peak again. And I think for a lot of people, that's not a bad thing. But I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable at the same time. And so I think when you hearken back to that, it's that you're almost sort of it's like how you usually when you talk about comfort, comfort foods, it's not necessarily the taste that you love. It's the feeling that it evokes in you. You remember being a kid like you remember like. Your mom making you chocolate chip cookies and making you feel happy. Before we discovered that saturated fat, not a great thing to be the only thing in your diet. (laughs) Yeah, but like, you know, and so you go back to that, not necessarily because like we particularly love the 80s aesthetic. um, But I think we go back to it because it it has that reminder of a time when we were kind of, (laughs) to quote a 90s movie, on top of the world. What movie is that? isn't that uh titanic am i thinking of something else? all right we gotta edit this out it's i'm king of the world uh well we felt like we were kings of the world to quote a 90s movie <laughs> <laughs> the best part of that was that i the best
0: part of that was that i knew you were talking about titanic but titanic, i couldn't yes. just
1: correct you like i had to i know um, i um i conflated it with the the i can't think of the movie it's an old movie i don't know mama i made it i'm on top of the world and then he dies it's a i think it's a i think it's a cagney movie maybe i'm, I'm gonna google it a i've never Canada, heard of a this James movie cagney before movie. i it's not it's famous only for that line mama i made it i'm on top of the world it's
0: something like that all right i'm typing it with one hand and holding my mic with the other <laughs> I kind
1: of wonder if this is this is great. Radio. Maybe we should just
0: leave this in. This is kind of a this is kind of a silly like inside bit. It's white heat. We might. And yeah, and it's, but that's the thing.
1: Yeah. See, I got everything right. <laughs> I'm not completely stupid. Yeah. But yeah, so I think that's part of it too. Like we kind of we like to go back there because it felt like we were in control of our own destiny in a way that we don't i think most americans probably don't anymore
0: i think we also i think that we just kind of had a lack of i think we had a lack of star power in the 90s that kind of makes it less fun to remember yeah
1: i mean denzel's on the other line and he's not very happy with yeah
0: but denzel i mean was denzel a bigger star (laughs) than i mean was denzel a bigger star than harrison ford and eddie murphy i mean
1: oh yeah probably not
0: I mean I would say that it's relatively even if you think about it like the 80s we had we we were going over when we were talking about this subject before just the, the murderers row of movies that came out in the 80s so the the highest grossing American movies of the first seven years of the decade were from 80 to 86 in order Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Return of the Jedi, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, and Top Gun. I mean, that that's a murderer's row of movies. Like, those are cultural touchstones.
1: Yeah, in a way that just... i Again, I don't know if it's that the 90s generation hasn't had kids as much yet, and so there's not that sort of cultural memory of 90s movies. Like, maybe... Uh, you see it with Disney. Disney really had its resurgence in the 90s. So a part of this, I wonder if we're maybe a little too close to the 90s to know. Um, although the thing that's interesting about the 80s is that 80s sort of nostalgia started generating in the, I don't know, it had to be the mid-90s. You had you had like MTV and VH1 doing all of these, like, I love the 80s yeah, type shows. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the 80s nostalgia kicked in almost immediately after the 80s ended, I think, which is, I think, unusual by any metric.
0: I think the I think the 80s have serious st- staying power. Like, I think the 90s could fall by the wayside the way that, like, the 70s did. Because the thing about the 90s was, like, I feel like if you're talking about the 80s versus the 90s, there's a certain level of building things up in the 80s and then having things come crashing down in the 90s. So if you think about... Like if we go over just the biggest stars of the of the '80s, I'm just gonna throw some names out: uh, Harrison Ford, Michael Jackson, Eddie Murphy, um, Magic Johnson, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sly Stallone. Mm-hmm. All of those people were extremely beloved figures. Oh, and Springsteen. Springsteen's another example.
1: Springsteen, yeah.
0: They dominated culture in the 80s. Like, Thriller and Born in the USA were probably the two albums of that decade that have the most staying power. Star Wars and Rocky and Indiana Jones are probably the movie franchises that have the most staying power and all of those things are about triumph you know so like rocky yeah. rocky is about uh rocky is about a working-class white guy using his grit and
1: determination to defeat muhammad ali it's <laughs> it's white people's dream it's the great it's the great white hope yeah which is they didn't actually get a great white hope so they had to make it. yeah up. which is some like de- obviously culturally
0: problematic but yeah, uh, crazily, um, "Born in the USA" is this amazing American pride thing.
1: Even though it was horribly misunderstood, it was the song itself. <laughs> it was, was so the many song people. itself
0: is horribly misunderstood. A lot of the songs though are like very positive, and they're fun. Yeah, right, right, right. And yeah. um, "Thriller" was—I mean, "Thriller" is obviously not particularly like patriotic or jingoistic, but it's still like a very It was innovative to such an amazing degree that it brought this big excitement to people.
1: Well, remember, um, I mean, obviously there were a lot of great American bands in the 60s and 70s, but like the 60s and 70s, musically speaking, involved a lot of of English people. Yeah. English and other people. Yeah. Yeah. and that's not to say the 80s didn't, but with somebody like Michael Jackson, with somebody like Bruce Springsteen, you finally had Americans, like, reasserting, like, no, we are the dominant yeah. pop music culture home, in a way that hadn't happened, I don't know, in a long time.
0: Homegrown, home like, musical icons. Yeah. And,
1: and, and that was something that hadn't happened yeah. in, in the same way in a very long time. Yeah.
0: But, like, the 90s, I mean, when you switch to the 90s, for starters... Every single person, every single person from the '80s that I just mentioned, really kind of fell off the map during the '90s. Yeah,
1: even and that yeah. goes all the way down to like Springsteen.
0: Yeah, even I mean, even Springsteen, who obviously is just as iconic now as he was then, like the '90s was his least notable decade. He stopped. Yeah, it was his dark. Yeah, record. well, he just he stopped playing with the band. His two stuff or his two albums were "Devils and Dust" and "Ghost of Tom Joad." And those, you know, I I like them, but like they're kind of deep cuts in the Springsteen Mm -hmm. library. Um, Eddie Murphy or Eddie Murphy just stopped being Eddie Murphy. Like he he stopped making great adult comedies and he kind of transitioned to doing more kids movies like The Nutty Professor. Like those were his biggest hits of the 90s were The Nutty Professor
1: movies. Um, Well, this comes actually to a theory I have about the 90s. For whatever reason, I couldn't tell you why because, frankly, I didn't do enough. <laughs> I didn't do enough cultural research to give you a reason why this happened. But the '90s was really a turning point from an, uh, an entertainment perspective because it was one of the first decades that focused on kids' entertainment and young people's, like, like kids by young people and kids. I'm not talking like the usual, which is la- uh, high school, late like high children. school, college, which is how it's always been. I'm talking, yeah, like. 8 to 13.
0: I think part of it was that people came in, creative people came into the 90s, and they are like, well, what are we going to do? Like, do better than Star Wars and E.T.? I mean, you know, so people who people who were kids and young adults in the 80s couldn't touch those things. I mean, they probably didn't want to. And at the same time, at the same time, a lot of the heroes of the time were kind of losing their status. So yeah, so it's it's interesting because the while we're having this ad, this adult culture really shift into a really dark place, I mean, we had Michael Jordan and that was kind of it. Like the 96 Olympics were famously scarred by a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the Oklahoma City bombing. Magic Johnson, who I mentioned, you know, the, probably the most famous athlete of the 1980s before Jordan started taking over. Was diagnosed with hiv and everyone thought he was gonna die like the best music of the time were these kind of self-loathing cynical things like creep and like nirvana and the two biggest movies one is about people getting chased and devoured by dinosaurs and another is where aliens destroy every important landmark in america
1: yeah it was a very it was a very dark and confused decade and so yeah i think you see to a certain extent i think you're right i think you see a lot of the positivity uh find its way into kids entertainment yeah because uh, you pointed out i think what was it 91 and 94 was or 92 to 94 was beauty and the beast aladdin toy story something like yeah, that so, One of the top so beauty and the beast was 91 year.
0: 92 was aladdin 94 was lion king and 95 was toy story so that's that's right. four yeah. out of so, five years. That that's a run.
1: yeah. Four out of the five first years of the '90s were kids movies. Whereas if you go back to to the '80s, grossing, it was like you said, it was things like Top Gun, like, um, like Raiders of the um, not Raiders, uh, yeah, Raiders, Last Raiders is a lot of the, oh Raiders, but the yeah. thing
0: was like movies like Star Wars and ET, those were for kids. I mean, I mean, ET, ET is a kids movie. But the thing was, yeah, ET like, e. is
1: definitely a kids' movie. But the, I'm not as yeah. sure about Star Wars.
0: But there, but it was a
1: more much... It was, I don't know. There, it has more of a feeling, maybe because it's become such a classic without any qualification. Yeah, it feels like it was intended for a more. It had a more mature bent to well, it. Than well, well, it's movie kind like, of it's say, kind of dark. Toy Story. It's it's a
0: little it's a little bit scarier. There's some kind of scary like imagery in it where like the alien is mm-hmm. dying. I always thought the alien himself, like, the actual E.T. was kind of creepy.
1: Yeah, he really is. Like,
0: he's kind of weird looking, but maybe that's just me. But what we really I mean, what we really had was the understanding of what kids' movies were changed.
1: That's probably a better way to say it. And,
0: every, like, the new thing to do, everything went animated for about five years. And it touched off what I think has really been a revolution in animated filmmaking.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you look at Disney and Pixar, who dominated that that first half of the decade are the gold standard for animated movies yeah even now uh, and that started in the 90s something that you pointed out that was that was really interesting about why we think of the 80s as so much more cool and sort of timeless than the 90s uh, is that the 90s sort of are so close to so many of the things that we have now so like cell phones were almost a thing the internet was almost a thing as we understand it now i mean it had been a thing for a while but it kind of was just coming into the um uh omnipresent thing that it is today they were so close to so many things that we have now that when you look at it you can understand them and you know how like dated they look whereas you look at something like the 80s it's it feels so foreign to us, like all of the neon and the, the synthesizers and things like, it feels timeless because we, we're, we are not close enough to sort of understand how dated everything is. Well, well, yeah, and
0: I mean, a great example is um, I w- when I was at the gym the other day, Enemy of the State came on, which is like sort of, it's like the lost Will Smith hit movie of the 90s. It's a really good movie, and he's really good in it, but... What's interesting about it is it's basically the entire time it's a guy being chased by like the government who constantly have him under surveillance and it's a good movie but the surveillance scenes are so funny in hindsight like it's just like you're you're watching the way it was just like he's got like we're losing his tracking signal and like you're just like Ah-huh. like it just it looks like and then there's a famous it's almost it's almost famous even though the movie itself isn't famous like i've seen a lot of jokes about like sandra bullock ordering pizza over the internet in the net at pizza.net which the <laughs> net is, is
1: actually a pretty good movie but like that is just crippled by, how dated, it crippled seems by now. how dated it is it's crippled by how dated it is yeah and so war games to a certain extent is that way too which yeah. i also think was a 90s movie i
0: feel like to a certain degree people look at like 90s and they are just like like the 90s culture portrayed in like 90s movies and they're just like this is just a crappier version of what we have now whereas people can see 80s movies and they're just be like oh yeah there was a time where i didn't have to worry about how many likes i got on instagram
1: yeah and it's like whoa man that look at that cool vintage like stuff yeah like and it's like oh yeah look at that action figure i have two (laughs) that's no random place to go to well
0: I I don't know there's lots of famous action figures from the 80s I I guess it's just that's not what I was expecting so something that I think is interesting is I think that some 90s things have come back but they've been kind of repurposed a good example is rap Uh, and you know this is we've talked about rap Mm. on this podcast probably in like five or six different episodes at length But it it really I mean, obviously, rap didn't start in the 90s, but it got a national profile in the 90s and it's become so much more populist now. And I think a big part of that was like mainstream, quote unquote, like crossover successes like uh, the blueprint and like everything Kanye has done kind of paved the way for the type of rap we have now. But that's not so much 90s nostalgia, I think the closest thing to nineties nostalgia and rap that I can think of is probably good kid, mad city. Yeah. But definitely. people, but people didn't love that album. Cause they were listening to it and just being like, Oh, oh man, it sounds just like Pac. How about that? Nineties yeah. beat? Like I'm sure some people yeah. were, but it was cause Kendrick is, is the greatest. So one thing that I think, I think we're kind of seeing a Renaissance in animated movies. In a way that over the past like five years or so animated movies have become like a higher form of storytelling than they were in the past and i think pixar has done great work for that too but i think other sources are kind of starting to catch up to them so a couple of great examples are frozen and zootopia which were both considered great kids movies, but also very like enjoyable standalone movies that had interesting social implications.
1: Yeah, that were that were well delivered. Yeah, by comparison, and even things
0: like like How to Train Your Dragon, which were yeah. both very popular, both very critically acclaimed, and they both weren't just basic kids movies. Like they touched on some legitimate, like legitimate emotional issues, and they were both pretty poignant and moving. And so I, I think... One of
1: one of genuinely the most emotionally conflicting moments I've had watching a movie was in the second How to Train Your Dragon movie. Like, a, no joke at all.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. We're not going to spoil yeah, it. Yeah, well, I don't want to spoil
1: it. But it is... It, I genuinely, like, I still think I'm like, I don't know how I come down on that. It's, it's an interesting... I think you're right. I think people are kind of realizing that the there's much more to the medium and that's more people than just pixar and and disney who i think had figured it out earlier
0: no yeah i I think i think everyone's catching up ironically although
1: to be fair to be fair though both frozen and zootopia that you mentioned are both disney movies yeah
0: but they're they're not pixar movies though
1: they're not pixar well what
0: i'm saying is i well i actually think the irony is i think pixar has pretty greatly fallen off lately I'm I'm gonna I'm preface gonna it by seeing fi- by saying I didn't see Finding Dory or Inside Out.
1: You haven't seen a single one of their movies since
0: like Wally. There's no I saw I saw Toy Story Three. I um, thought it was a little overwrought. Don't at me. I haven't seen it. Don't at me. I haven't me. seen it. Um I I didn't think up was very good. Th- that's where you're gonna get the burns. Well, up is People not okay. Up is movie. not very good. Up is a great <laughs> up is a great first ten minutes that devolves into just like a fine movie <laughs> no i don't care like that You're one that one, that one you can at me on i don't care yeah and i know that this joins a long podcast tradition of me saying i don't like things i
1: haven't seen <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: it does it does
1: it does that is it does do that but, but, all, um... but all,
0: all i'm saying is that pixar yeah. pixar used to be miles ahead of everyone else to the point where every time they put out a movie you were sure it's going to be gold it was going to be gold Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's the case anymore but i think that they have over the past 20 years i think they've ushered in a new era where people are really pushing the limits of what they can do with
1: animation i think the simpsons deserves a lot of credit for that too and i mean i to a certain extent yes like you look at the people who drive this but to a certain extent that's just kind of how media has always worked you get something that's relatively new, and that's not to say that an animation is new by any stretch of the imagination. But you get something into the common parlance, and then it gets more and more sophisticated. You see it with the way movies developed. I mean, uh, the first movie was literally a train driving at the audience, and then you see things like uh, <laughs> which, by the way, wait, like, can, uh, can we not can we
0: hold on the train driving mm-hmm. at the audience thing? the train yeah. driving at the audience is the first movie really freaked people out like people was, people it was thought a the terrible
1: train idea for a first movie people
0: thought the train was actually going to come out of the screen and hit people that was how radical the technology was
1: but like then eventually you get citizen kane and well i mean there's a long but you know what i mean it was train and then coming get, out
0: of the screen
1: citizen <laughs> kane media kind of evolves naturally you know things get more sophisticated as more people get access to them and more people consume previous versions of that media yeah um and so like i guess yeah to a certain extent pixar uh, deserves credit for being that sort of catalyst for uh computer generated movies specifically because uh, obviously i think you can look further back for animated movies but to a certain extent it was kind of an inevitability
0: yeah, yeah, no, that I think that's totally fair. That's still I think that that's the biggest way that '90s culture has manifested itself today.
1: In, in one movies, thing that I will say, say, yeah, one thing that I will say, like movies. Actually, if you look at the '90s, like we talked very briefly as we were preparing this, it was a pretty good prestige decade. The one area that that the '90s I think unequivocally sucked at. <laughs> was music music yes 90 the 90s is one of the unequivocally worst musical decades certainly from a mainstream perspective i think that we've we've had since the since world war ii because i can't go that far back what man you're not
0: you're not a stone
1: tumble pilots guy well that's what like grunge i respect nirvana i don't like them (laughs) but a lot of people do and i understand what they did and I think what happened with grunge is it too quickly got subsumed by the mainstream. And so you got a lot of these bands becoming big, like Stone Temple Pilots, like, uh, I literally can't think of, uh, like Soundgarden. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it, it just, I think they tried to make it a thing too quickly. And so it kind of died before the movement happened. Uh, what I do think is really interesting well, is. Well, I also, I mean,
0: can, can, can I jump in for a second? Yeah, go for it. I think that. I think that grunge acts becoming famous kind of undermined the point of the whole thing. What grunge was. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the only band that I would say really kind of hired or kind of handled their fame extremely well and didn't let it derail them creatively
1: was radiohead pearl jam maybe you could argue kind of terrible i don't terribly care for pearl jam but they've had a pretty good run
0: radiohead though radiohead's the only 90s band i think where the stuff that they put out later in their career was unequivocally better than their first album for example like i think pearl jam's first album's their best album
1: yeah 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 yeah.
0: and i and now Um, now like I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify that true. statement by saying I'm not a huge pearl jam head. Like I I like them, but I don't know a ton about them.
1: We were brought up on now that's what I call music largely. Yeah, well the Weirdly thing enough. I mean Like below, that and like the Who. <laughs>
0: but the thing was, like, you and I weren't listening to music when Nirvana was around.
1: Exactly. You yeah. know,
0: I was listening to the first song that I remember listening to consistently was Kiss from a Rose. I'm not even kidding, like
1: No, I know. Yeah, I believe that. That,
0: That's the first song I remember, and, like, Kurt Cobain was dead before that song came out. But the thing is, I I would agree that, like, I think think grunge, it's not pleasant to listen to.
1: And, you know, to be fair, it's not supposed to be.
0: Yeah, but, like, at this time, I guess we just, maybe it's a function of the fact that we have less free time now. When I listen to music, I kind of want stuff that kind of makes me feel a little bit either A, that's like really engaging, engaging from a sound perspective, or that kind of gives me like a lift. But the thing that I think, and I wanted to run this by you because you are the music expert of the podcast. Such as I am. The musical historian. Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that grunge has kind of resurfaced in today not in sound necessarily but in principles in edm
1: i think both in sound and in principles actually um
0: but I'm, i'm talking about
1: in like extremely popular extremely popular music um i'd be interested to see what your argument is i've never really connected edm with grunge my my argument is that they're both they're both populist so they're
0: both sort of anybody can I don't, do. See, this.
1: this is the thing. I don't know if I agree that grunge is populist. It is from a from a uh, material perspective. It you know it's supposed to be you know one of the best one of my favorite Radiohead songs. Frankly, is anyone can play guitar.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. But that that's exactly yeah. the point. I mean, what people liked about what people I think found so- kind of musically profound about "Smells Like Teen Spirit," for example, was that the guitar riff was so good but it's also so easy. And it's yeah. kind of there's not I feel like the barriers to entry weren't as weren't as high as they were in the 80s. Like if you listen to I mean imagine yeah, but, think of the difference between listening to for example I mean you gave a great example, a lesser like a lesser regarded but still very famous 90s band. I mean, we made a joke about Wonderwall, but it's kind of yeah. a perfect example where you listen to that and you're just like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like I, I want to play that. But like someone in 1984, like watching thriller, it's just like Mm -hmm. this guy, no one can do what this guy can do.
1: Yeah. And, and that's, that's a very good point. I think you see that. um, What I do think is interesting, barring some salient examples. Like I think you could point to like the sex pistols, like the clash, maybe By and large, that sort of like I would call it like a DIY aesthetic. This idea that like you you can and these people are just kind of like getting together and making music that anybody could do. Yeah, punk. I think that was largely reserved for the underground. You know, you saw that a lot with like punk. Uh, To a certain extent, with early hip hop, it was that way. Really, what it came down to wasn't so much virtuosity. I don't want to say talent because that's not that's selling it short. But it was about Um, how big of a record collection you could put together how you understood putting those songs together it didn't have the same i think thriller is the perfect example like thriller is great because it is an incredible tapestry of sound that feels like it just was like beamed straight down from some other planet uh bowie was sort of this way too prince is this way like like there's an unattainability to some of the great artists and i would agree that like when you're talking about from a wider perspective, a lot of the most famous and lasting '90s songs have that DIY aesthetic in a way that wasn't. It existed, but it wasn't quite as prevalent in previous. And decades. and
0: I think that there's a DIY aesthetic to a lot of EDM. I mean, a great example is like yeah the 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 number one song in America, or at least it was a couple of weeks ago, is "Closer" by the Chainsmokers. And like mm-hmm. the Chainsmokers are just a couple of dudes with like we're just a couple of dudes with laptops. Like I mean, yeah, it's that it's guy couldn't even. That there. guy couldn't even afford a, a mattress. He had to steal it from his roommate back in. Boulder. <laughs> well,
1: no, it's unclear. I would like to point out it's unclear because it could be this woman he's speaking to who stole the mattress. One of them can't afford a mattress. I don't know which one it is. They also can't afford a rover either, but they bought it anyway. Well, yeah. Well, the thing, is, well, because no, but you're right. Like the, one of the things about EDM that I think is both bothers people. And is so unbelievable about it, and the, you've seen this before, like bedroom pop from the early two thousands. Sort of was this way. Um, there was this big boom in people who are just like making music in their on their laptop and at their home. But EDM has sort of brought that and exploded it to the nth degree, like you know, the joke about EDM so often is it's just like some idiot up there, like dancing around while music plays. Yeah. Which so is... like, it's that double edged sort of thing well, where well,
0: s- something that I thought was really funny was I saw a girl talk a few years ago at a movie, fe- at a music festival. And there was mm. so little to like his stage show that he literally had a bunch of people from the crowd come up on stage and dance behind him. And there was no choreography <laughs> yeah. at all. It was just people dancing on stage for an hour.
1: Well, yeah, because it's not concert music. It's music to dance to. It's not intended to go to, like, a normal concert. It's sort of like how hip-hop struggles with... It struggles with live performance, because it it's not about live performance in that way. It's about, like, getting together and, like, throwing together bars and, like, competing with one another and, like... Or making a... You know, as you got sort of later into it, it became making a very, like storytelling aesthetic of this is me putting my life out onto a cd or a a tape or whatever yeah you know it's it wasn't intended in the same way to be played at like ten thousand seat venues in the way that like rock was sort of slowly engineered to and what's funny
0: is actually that's kind of shifting now as guys like kanye and kendrick lamar have both distinguished themselves for their live performances in different ways so kendrick like, when Kendrick went on tour for To Pimp a Butterfly, he took a band, a full band with him, and he's had a band with him on all of his shows, and it kind of adds a sort of imp- imp- uh, improvisational quality to it that makes it a little more interesting than just a guy playing his beats that you've already heard on the album. And Kanye, just like, as you're going to find out when you see him live soon, yeah. uh, he just, his shows are like cinematic events put our like theatrical events set to his music.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like, I think what, what happened was when, when hip hop uh, has started to understand how to be a concert genre, when they started taking in other genres. So you think about Kendrick and you can pick jazz or rock, depending on how you want to like go about it. But like, ultimately it's from bringing in conventions from other styles. Yeah. And, both Chance and Kanye do it from a like almost musical theater. Certainly, Chance is very musical theater influenced in his performance, but Kanye to a certain extent, too, like opera, uh, musical theater, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's something on top of the musical performance.
0: Well, actually, what I think is interesting, and this is a great example, I think, of a definitively 90s genre sort of being pushed to the next level by a sort of 80s aesthetic was Mm -hmm. when Kanye really transitioned Mm -hmm. to being, like, an international megastar with Graduation, what he cited as as his number one influence was arena rock. And basically Mm -hmm. this idea that a rapper could be a rock star. And actually, on Big Brother, which is probably one of the weaker tracks on the album, and it's at the very end, he starts it with, like, this huge, like, very, very sort of grandiose instrumental intro and the first thing he says is stadium status
1: well that was also that was also a very 2000s thing 2000s the 90s like arena rock sort of tailed off a little bit in the 90s um oh it sort of came back in the 2000s yeah look i mean look
0: at springsteen i mean springsteen was springsteen was like a great example of like a stadium rock star and then like guys like i mean journey's another example i don't like mm-hmm. journey but you know
1: but yeah they're certainly in that conversation yeah and that type of thing kind of I went see away. and you're filtering the 90s genre which is hip hop through an 80s sort of yeah uh, frame
0: it was right, yeah it was a guy it was a yeah. it was an artistic genius saying what if we took this what if we took this medium and we blew it up to the proportion of a different genre Yeah, because he, I mean, because and that's Kanye, and that's part of why he's so great. Something I think was interesting was I think the sort of DIY thing. I I think that that DIY anyone can do it. There's no like huge barrier to entry. Populism has transitioned to dance music from grunge, and what I think is interesting is sort of a grunge era, a grunge era cultural touchstone movie which hasn't totally carried over in terms of the movie itself, but the message of it has is Reality Bites. Oh, yeah. The story of Reality Bites, which I haven't seen the movie, but spoil, but I've read a plot summary of it. And spoiler alert, for because I'm going to spoil this movie. Basically, uh, Winona Ryder, star of Stranger Things, is basically caught between she wants to decide whether she wants to be with ben stiller who's this guy with like he's like in finance or something or he has like a good job and he wears suits and stuff and ethan Hawke, who like plays guitar and like reads poetry in a coffee shop and uh and i think that that type of oh and eventually he chooses ethan Hawke and ben stiller the guy with like the job the like fancy job and the suits is Mm kind of considered not the villain but kind of The fool and so it's like people watching that movie and just like laughing and just like "Uh like you and your suit and your tie like you're a square man and I think Mm -hmm. I think that there's a certain I think that there's a certain transfer of that idea to now where that sort of DIY lifestyle like oh you know you're just like scraping by and you know you probably shouldn't buy this thing, but like you're young. So do it like, you know, you can't afford that Rover, but you got it anyway. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, it's, it's no, silly, no, no. but it's kind of, I mean, am, am I, am I grasping here or like,
1: no, it's funny that you say that. Cause literally what I was going to say is that I think the biggest thing that the nineties has done. And part of why I think it doesn't have an aesthetic in the way that the eighties does in our culture right now is that it, Really, the '90s was the sort of moment when, when everybody realized that the monoculture was kind of a construct, yeah, and something that you didn't really need to exist in. And I think you see, you still see tremors of that now. Oh, maybe even more so than you did then. But like, you look at like grunge becoming a huge thing. Like you said, you look at reality bites. You, there was this, this collective understanding that like, well, wait a minute this guy doesn't believe in this set of values that we've been given as a country and this person doesn't and that person doesn't, then why do I? I also don't, but I just followed it because I assumed everybody else believed that. And I was just weird. And I think the nineties was a moment when everybody kind of collectively understood in some weird moment of clarity that everybody has no idea what they're doing and everybody has their own things that they care about. And so this idea of like this thing, these touchstones that we have to have sort of had the cracks put into it, that the internet in the two thousands finally completely shattered.
0: Yeah. Well, and, well, and I think that, I think that I talked about, about 20 minutes ago about banking and how Mm -hmm. there came this, like how a lot of people became fantastically wealthy through that. And I think that actually part of the contributor in the sort of breaking up of the monoculture was sort of an increased stratification of wealth. And the 90s, the late 80s kind of started this, but it really, I think, started to bloom in the 90s right. was when you saw the dawning of this big income gap we have now. And so that idea that you have, like, the, the idea of Reality Bites, where it's someone who at a glance you could look at them at ethan hawk's character and write them off as just like oh well you know this person got kind of left behind by like the world
1: which by the which by the way if i can jump in real quick i would point out is probably how an 80s movie that's exactly the same would have played it yeah ben stiller would be the hero and ethan hawk would be like the left behind goofball who ultimately doesn't get what he wants yeah yeah and but you continue, would you continue. would feel you would
0: feel bad for ethan hawk and yeah. maybe someone less inherent. This, this could be controversial, but I think someone, like, less inherently unlikable than Ben Stiller would be the Reality Bites guy. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe a Tom Cruise type. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, and by the way, we know that that's the case, because that's kind of what happened in St. Elmo's Fire. Where the guy who was kind of, who didn't have a job and stuff like that, like, was kind of a sympathetic, kind of tragic figure. He was the guy who got left behind. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was an 80s movie where they did it the opposite way. I think you kind of see that today, too. And again, like I said, that stratification of wealth and like the income gap has only grown larger. And that sort of counterculture DIY, um, you know, making fun of the bank, the banking class has (laughs) kind of kicked into overdrive but there's a bit more yeah. there's a bit more of an angry tilt to it maybe that there was at the time not that there obviously some awful like some awful like social problems happened in the 90s with like the LA riots and uh being probably the most horrifying example i
1: think the anger was there you know in the way that the anger is he is there now but i also think i think you're definitely on to something with this idea because i keep going back to another movie that is not gonna end up having been in the 90s but i'm like almost positive it is um and that's dead poet society oh dead poet society has become one of the like you know a day doesn't go by without <laughs> i feel like somebody on facebook making a reference to either the the book scene where he has them tear out the uh the um rubric or anything and and at the end of the day what that movie is is about a kid who is trying to be what he wants to be instead of what he's supposed to be yeah and then you look at something like goodwill hunting another like quintessential 90s movie is about a guy who wasn't supposed to succeed but was good enough to succeed and he did succeed and so it was another one of this sort of like you said these people who are normal people who don't exist inside of like the quote unquote monoculture who end up being rewarded for that.
0: Well, there's a certain culture of the, well, there's a certain theme of subversion I think that's at play. And I mean, that that's kind of, that's kind of in play in um, independence day where, while there might have been the government might've been like the hero, you know, the hero of independence day is Will Smith. Who's kind of this, like fighter pilot who know who didn't have any reputation before it i think an important example of that sort of subversion theme is actually one of my favorite 90s movies a few good men because if you if you just think about i mean what happens in a few good men is the marines basically spoiler alert the marines basically order a very draconian hazing measure that kills someone and then they kill multiple people trying to cover it up. I don't think you could have had that type of thing in the 80s where people would so drastically question uh, or where someone would make a plot of a very powerful american institution doing something so drastically wrong
1: yeah the 90s was a lot of questioning institutions yeah definitely uh you think about another movie uh that i feel like was either early 2000s or i'm pretty sure it's mid to late 90s men in black it was 98 yeah men in black is similar it's about a shadowy government organization who are the good guys but ultimately they go about like convincing people these things don't exist they sort of exist on the the margins and it's that same sort of thing you sort of it's the conspiracy theories it's the questioning of things that we previously hadn't had reason to question yeah you look at things like you look at things like uh like you said like um magic johnson's aids um uh, hiv hiv diagnosis like all of a sudden, all of these things that in the 80s were just, like, this fount of good feeling all of a sudden had all these questions. Yeah. And you had, like, you you also pointed out O.J. Um, oh,
0: yeah. O.J. is one of the best examples. I can't even think of, yeah. like, I can't even think of a parallel today uh, that could, I guess, if, like, Peyton Manning killed somebody.
1: You know, to a certain extent, it's, <laughs> this is a really silly thing to sort of think about, but I have two metaphors when I think of the 90s. Uh, that keep coming to mind one is for a songwriter that first like those first like four or five songs that you write that are just like pure rebellion and they're terrible and they're just like super awkward because like you know you feel these things but you don't really understand how to express them yet Yeah. That's sort of how the 90s was from a cultural perspective. It was a lot of attempted rebellion, both in the mainstream and out of it. But nobody had really, certainly not in the mainstream, they didn't have the parlance down yet. And so it comes off today when we're so much better at this and we're so much better at being individualistic. And we're so much better at uh, fighting against this idea that there is one prescribed way to do things with a capital W. Yeah. That it feels stilted to us now because it was awkward it was the first sort of steps of an adolescent culture trying to push against somebody telling them what's right
0: yeah it was clumsy in a way that things aren't now and that's why well and that's why i think that's why i think evm that's why i think the evm to grunge thing is such an interesting comparison because i think all evm is is an example of how people are able to leverage technology to do Mm -hmm. a form of diy musical expression in a much more precise way but yeah and, yeah,
1: and what was your second metaphor? This is this is a lot deeper, uh, and st- nobody's going to understand this reference. But basically what happened, what you saw uh, in between the Baroque era of classical music and the classical era, you saw this sort of weird period around Vienna called the Gallant period, which basically was like not quite Baroque music, but not quite classical yet. Um, and so... At the time, it, I imagine it was revolutionary and it was bizarre and it was unlike things they'd heard. And it was this sort of aggressive reaction against the, the sort of ornamental, uh, ornamentalism of Baroque music. But it wasn't quite classical music either. It wasn't quite as refined. And so what it is, what we look at it today as is this weird sort of transitional footnote between two major eras. And to a certain extent, I think that's kind of how the 90s are going to be remembered. They're huh. not quite the 80s, but they're not quite the 2000s. Both the 80s are more assured in one way, in this sort of American monoculture, American cultural hegemony, uh, monetary success, all those sorts of things. And then the 2000s are like, the understanding that everybody doesn't all have the same likes dislikes views yeah everybody's their own person uh Globalization. we're a little bit more skeptical of yeah skepticism and i think the 90s the 90s are that sort of moment where we realized that we didn't necessarily want to exist the way we did in the 80s but we weren't exactly sure how to be the 2000s yet huh that's a and that's, so,
0: that's a great that's a great analogy, and I hope yeah, that so enough I people know the difference between Baroque <laughs> and classical
1: to get it because that is that is on point. Uh, and and yeah, so I think the '90s are they are pivotal and they are they are um, essential, but I don't think they're particularly memorable because they are this weird sort of transitional time
0: a couple one other one thing that i do think is interesting to make and i think this is kind of an interesting transitional thing too one thing that i think that the 90s definitively did better than the 80s and that really laid laid the foundation for what we have today is tv
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I very mean, true. And and to be fair, the '80s the '80s had things like Cheers, and I think I think was the Cosby Show the '80s. I don't.
1: I I in my head, yes. I'm gonna, Might look, be I'm gonna look this
0: up real quick. So the Cosby Show they're... was '84 to '92, so it was yeah. it was mostly the '80s. Mm. But in the '90s, we had Friends, we had Seinfeld we had cheers or not cheers um we had Fraser. (laughs) cheers again no we had Uh Frazier. yeah yeah yeah. um we had the fresh prince of bel-air and i'm I'm sure that there's other things that i'm forgetting
1: oh er legends of the hidden temple er (laughs) yeah 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 er law and order like well again yeah with tv i think we hadn't figured out what tv could do yet and the 90s was they were finally kind of starting to stretch their legs in terms of what the medium was capable of and led to things like the sopranos like um the wire like breaking bad because they sort of paved the way for people to say okay it doesn't have to be a three camera sitcom yeah all of the characters don't have to be likable and by the you way know,
0: and by the way yeah. like the sopranos Files is
1: another big one
0: the sopranos was 99
1: yeah and so, exactly. so I think that we, we wouldn't have what we've been known <laughs> by as by the now. way. Yeah, go ahead. By the way, another one that does, makes my point about how it was a lot about questioning institutions. One of the quintessential nineties TV shows is the X files. Yes. Which is entirely based around the idea that the government doesn't tell you the government's hiding. all of everything. these things are here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's a great example. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Look at us. Look at us go. (laughs) Oh, the X Files is from '93. Yeah, the X Files. Yeah, the X Files is is
1: a quintessential. Is a quintessential '90s television. X Files is a good show, by the way.
0: I've never seen it. It's it's like it holds up pretty nicely.
1: I know people love their Mulder and Scully, who I presume are characters. One of whom is David Duchovny.
0: Duchovny is Fox Mulder.
1: (laughs) That's right, Fox Mulder. One of the great stupid names of all time. Yeah
0: the west wing was 99 too actually okay yeah but that that's a great example so the 90s kind of laid the groundwork for both like both like a modern sitcoms where and i mean cheers like we for stars we would be just stabbing our dad in the back if, if i didn't make this point that cheers was a real like way paver for this type too but I think the 90s was like the full explosion of the idea that you could build a TV show where the entire concept was, here are these people, they, do, they hang out together a lot, and that's it. I mean, if you think I mean, about it, like, Frasier and Friends and Seinfeld are all built around those, that concept. It's just, here's this group of people, they spend all of their time together, they occasionally spend time with other people but only when it's relevant to the plot so like a funny joke about friends is how funny it is that whenever one of them throws a party there's a bunch of people there even though they don't spend time with anyone but each other uh-huh. yeah and so like those, those although three... to be fair
1: that the sitcom has been around i mean you look at shows like i mean you go back as far as like leave it to beaver or uh green acres things like that but i think but what do what, but what do
0: those shows have that that for example seinfeld and friends and even to a degree Frasier don't
1: i'm not sure
0: they're not about a nuclear family
1: oh oh yeah i guess that's true yeah there's no like there's not necessarily any sort of obligational yeah. gravity holding these people to, together they're just friends the
0: definitive sitcoms before the 90s were all the cosby the show all in the family uh,
1: three's company three's um, company is a little bit you get into that you the brady bunch i believe they weren't a family in three's company i've literally never they, seen they weren't it show. was jack tripper yeah, so and some someone else yeah so there's uh the odd couple i mean you there there were precursors there to this, were but certainly but yeah it wasn't i mean at this point it's almost unusual to see a family-based comedy yeah and they're usually
0: really corny yeah, except Although, for Blackish, which Black-ish, is Blackish. Awesome. Blackish is awesome. I was watching Blackish yeah. earlier today. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that that is an interesting thing. I but think but for example,
1: Blackish feels very much like a throwback show. It has a very decidedly throwback feel to it in a way. Well, well because it's a, a family sitcom.
0: Yeah, and well, what's fun about Blackish is that Blackish has kind of taken that traditional sitcom. And subvert the family sitcom and kind of subverted it and poked fun at the tropes in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but yeah, but so so TV, like TV, was another big product. And while the sort of while we don't really see like homages to '90s TV, the influence is still very clearly there. And those show, I mean, this this is a hot take. Of those three, my favorite actually is Frasier and maybe this is maybe that's the most middle-aged the person thing i've ever said but
1: <laughs> yeah
0: it's just it's just really it's just really talented comedic actors like in a room just ping-ponging off each other
1: yeah i don't i've never really watched friends so i don't i can't really comment i mean i do love fraser um
0: friends is difficult friends is difficult for me because while i like it it's very similar to How I Met Your Mother, and I saw How I Met yeah. Your Mother first.
1: Uh-huh, yeah.
0: And I think if I saw Friends and first, I would tough. feel differently.
1: Well, well, like, I don't know. I Again, I can't speak to... I can't speak to the relative qualities, but I feel like, to a certain extent, How I Met Your Mother is, like, a more confident version of Friends. Um, As sort of that ultimate juxtaposition of the 90s versus the 2000s. Yeah,
0: yeah, well... well that's true because like because like uh, the, point, sorry, the point uh, of again. the point of the 90 or the point of how i met your mother wasn't here's a bunch of like 20 somethings trying to figure stuff out it's here's <laughs> yeah. a bunch of 20 somethings and by and large like they're all doing pretty well it's pretty rare for one of them to have trouble with money and mm-hmm. usually when and in the one storyline where they do it's a ve- it's played for like a very poignant beat rather than as like at everyday like oh your yeah, sink like, oh, doesn't so work broke. you dummy yeah. like <laughs> yeah, yeah. i was just like oh i'm so broke that like my 2 million dollar
1: apartment has a leak well and also like don't get me wrong like to a certain extent i think a show like seinfeld or a show like friends is kind of an overcorrection from a like likability perspective like it's valuable that they were able to push that boundary but like Is anybody does anybody on Friends have redeemable characteristics besides like maybe Joey sort of? Chandler. I hate Chandler so much. I might hate Chandler more than I hate Ross. (laughs) I hate Chandler so much. Oh my god. I don't think there's a single television character that I've ever seen who I hate more than Chandler. What the hell is the matter with you? (laughs) (laughs) I I just cannot stand Chandler. And and I feel like you look at you look at analogs down the road, you you can look at something like uh Like, How I Met Your Mother, where they sort of figured out that equilibrium, where, like, they have some really aggravating characteristics, but ultimately they're pretty decent people. Or you look at something like uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where they go so far off the map that it becomes funny that they're so terrible. It's less, like, Seinfeld, especially, I feel like, exists in this realm that's, like, just, it makes me uncomfortable how bad those people are. Yeah. Because they're, like, they're so close to being normal people that when they do bad things, you're like, ugh. Whereas it's always sunny. You just sort of expect them to be horrible people. Well,
0: yeah. And and I think the point of it's always sunny was sort of like taking that whole Seinfeldian aspect of bad people and then just like stretching it to this unthinkable extreme to the point (laughs) where they're all kind of evil
1: yeah, they, like, really like the, they really are. Like the really are like
0: Dennis. Dennis is on. on. It's always sunny is, like <laughs> is a, a sociopath. sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. He actually is a legitimate <laughs> sociopath. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think I think we covered a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, we hit
1: a bunch of stuff. Basically, I, basically the 90s are uh, we love you. We just don't want to emulate you, I think, is what we basically got to. Whereas the 80s are much easier to sort of grab whole hog. Well, yeah, I guess we'd never really answered our central question, which is do we think the 90s nostalgia wave is coming or do we just think it's not going to happen? And to a certain extent, I just don't think it's going to happen in the same way it did with the 80s. I
0: I don't think we're going to see nostalgia to it, but I think that there's a lot of aspects where that 90s aesthetic is kind of burrowed in our culture in very subtle ways.
1: Well, that's the thing. I think ironically, I think what's funny is that it's not as visible in our culture as the 80s are, especially right now. But I think it is much more in the fabric of our culture than I mean, A, we give it credit for, and B, than the '80s ever will be. Yeah,
0: like, but like, I think, for example, like, I don't think we're gonna see a musician who builds their entire career around trying to be Kurt Cobain the way that we have um, a singer who has tried to, who has spent their entire career completely ripping off Michael Jackson. Looking at you, Bruno. You know what yeah, you did.
1: That's, uh that's an interesting question because i feel like i want to push back on you with that but i literally can't think of anybody who who i can put
0: so a lot of people i'll put it i'll put it
1: this way a lot of people's heroes are kurt cobain and i feel like a lot of people think about music the way kurt cobain did which is like the anti-commercialism that is so popular in sort of indie music quote unquote is very much what is very much uh Indebted to Cobain. Yeah, and that person would um, be a DJ now, I think. No, I I think you see it in indie music all over the place. No, but I'm talking in fact, about like, I'm like, talking about an extremely successful mainstream artist. Oh, oh, if it were to be extremely successful, that's why I'm talking. I, I don't think. It, yeah. I don't think that's possible because again, like the thing about Gruns that was so weird was that it was successful despite the fact that it was so anti-success yeah like bruno like bruno whereas you mars, look at the big difference between grunge and edm is that edm is almost exclusively a product-based genre Bru- bruno it is about mars, creating product
0: yeah but bruno mars for example is like an extremely successful pop artist with two super bowl appearances on his on under his belt that's like the answer to the question so what if michael jackson wasn't interesting
1: <laughs> yeah
0: That's true. um, I I had an idea for our closing segment today that I came up with while we were doing it.
1: Okay, Uh, go for it.
0: I I wanted to do sort of speed round, which is like a very quick, like your favorite song and movie from the 80s and then from the 90s. And like, just don't think about it. Just throw something out and I don't care I know you're gonna like text me like four hours from now and just be like I can't believe I didn't think of this thing but like just just don't don't think don't think too hard about it okay so best 80s song not favorite best
1: best 80s song is Take On Me
0: whoa alright mine is Dancing in the Dark
1: that's a good one although I
0: wanted to I wanted to pick Tunnel of Love
1: that's another really good one
0: best uh best 80s movie
1: Jeez, man i have no idea this just what's yours and i'll see if i can figure it out
0: i i think that mine is probably either empire strikes back or i really like beverly hills cop
1: are we talking like peak 80s movie or best 80s movie
0: like like a like a great movie that also fits the era nicely
1: yeah uh, oh, I, I stick with my answer that. that it's take on me the best movie though um this is a great illustration of our personalities that i'm just yeah it really is and you're and you're like i literally don't think i've felt more uncomfortable on this podcast (laughs) than i do in this moment this is this Uh, is no
0: preparation i sprung this on you
1: yeah i literally can't even think of movies that came out of the 80s i guess it's empire strikes back if you're looking at quality plus like how indicative it is of an era
0: what, what an awesome movie that is, by the it's way. It's a great movie. It's just a great movie. It's it's can't thir- watch the
1: first twenty minutes of it, but it's a great movie. It's thirty six years old and it still holds up. Um, well, I can't watch the cutting open the Tauntaun part whenever that happens. That's that's like <laughs> That's for, early. For stars, like. that's
0: probably less gruesome than you remember.
1: It's it definitely is, but I just um, I can't handle it. All right, <laughs> okay, best nineties.
0: Best nineties song.
1: This isn't this uh, this semi charmed life. Ew. It's not that but that's the quintessential 90s song in my mind. I think mine is
0: I think mine I really want to say Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. <laughs> that's 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 definitely a great candidate. But I think I'm going to go with My Iron Lung. Okay. You want a I, little
1: alt, but I just I just love a I great just song. love
0: My Iron Lung.
1: It's a great song. And I think it's, it's a a, I
0: think it's an interesting choice. It's in one of my favorite 90s movies, Clueless. Um <laughs> We didn't yeah, even talk about clues, but
1: that's—I can't imagine Radiohead being. Yeah. A movie what's either. your?
0: What's? What do you think is the best '90s movie? There's a lot of good ones.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of really good ones. I'm gonna say L.A. Confidential. It's either L.A. Confidential or Pulp Fiction. I think, <laughs> <Bottle> I'm, <Rocket. laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm gonna say. I think I have to say
0: Shawshank Redemption, but okay. I really, but I only because I almost feel like it would be blasphemy not to. I really wanted to pick LA Confidential.
1: Uh, yeah, LA Confidential. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch it right now. It's amazing.
0: I, I think I think if you hadn't picked LA Confidential the I think. The shootout I
1: if... the shootout at the Victory Motel is the single greatest action set piece in my mind of all time. Ooh, that's hot take, that's a good conversation hot take alert for a different podcast, I think. We should do that. Um great action sequences in American film yeah. history. Yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of I don't of know, them. the sled fight in um Citizen Kane's pretty great.
0: that's true or um the part or the part where the witch my favorite action sequence in a movie of all time is when they throw water
1: on the witch in the wizard of oz and she melts it's
0: a pulse pounder
1: (laughs) that is that is an action there is an action in it (laughs) yeah do you want to tell them about you know how they can hear more of the one-on-one podcast yeah if you if you want to hear more about us inserting action sequences into great american films uh you can go to our twitter which is at one on one pod that's at numeral one on numeral one pod uh you can look up us up on soundcloud or uh itunes or stitcher we are on anywhere you get podcasts and or and if you have a great idea for the show you can uh send us an email at one podcast at gmail.com and maybe we'll use it for the show uh but yeah other than that i think we're good That's all we got. Thanks, Obama.